Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. We're the hosts of the Places Where We Go podcast. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places in our own local backyard. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. And welcome back for more of Sequoia National Park. There's so much to do there that we couldn't fit it in into one episode. So this is part two, and we're going to continue taking you through a number of things to do in this fantastic park. Today, we're going to get into some of the hiking options that are in Sequoia. Lots of hiking trails. The park has over 800 miles of trails, and hiking is one of the best ways that you can experience the varied ecosystems of the Sierra. The famous John Muir Trail, which we actually talked about two episodes ago, mm-hmm. is a 221-mile trail that stretches from Yosemite Valley to Mount Whitney and makes its way through Kings Canyon and into Sequoia. But while most of us will not take a hike of that magnitude, there's lots of hikes available to us. We're going to touch on three trails and... Uh, Julie, why don't we start off with one of the ones that I think we do just about every single time we go to Lodgepole. Yes, it starts in the Lodgepole campground. So it is one of those that is very well traveled within the campground itself. It is not a long trail. It has at the end of the trail something that is just beautiful to behold, and it is a waterfall. This waterfall sometimes has a good amount of water in it, and you can see this beautiful falls coming down. Sometimes it's just a trickle, but you're up in an area where it's granite, these immense majestic mountains around you, and regardless of what the water level is, it's just gorgeous. We've seen many animals on this trail. We've taken it, gosh, pretty much every time we've gone to Sequoia, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. I don't remember not taking it. I think one year we didn't. It is a trail that starts pretty gently. It's pretty even and and straight. It follows the marble fork of the Kawea River, which is the river that we actually camp near. And it ends up climbing into these beautiful cliffs that are all granite. They're so majestic. They're mm-hmm. so high. They're just, they're absolutely breathtaking. And once you get to the falls, you... Keep your eye out for these, they call them yellow belly marmots. And they can be very friendly because people tend to feed them when they get there. So they can come pretty close to you as you're sitting on the edge of this. It's not a big cliff, but this little cliff where the waterfall falls into. And they're all over that area. And um, they'll get a little close to you. My advice is do not feed the wild animals. Mm-hmm. Because this is what happens and they get used to the food and then they're too familiar with humans. As you're entering into uh, Lodgepole Campground and you pass the kiosk, there's a bridge that goes over the river there and it's right past a bunch of overflow parking. And when you cross that bridge, 
Right across that is the trailhead for the beginning of this hike. The spring and the early summers are the most scenic times to take this trail. The wildflowers bloom in the spring and the water is cascading down from snow melt. So it's just an absolutely gorgeous hike. I love it. Yeah. I mean, every time we go, I know, I feel like I know it like the back of my hand. Um, but every time I go, there's always something new to look at, maybe a new animal that you haven't seen before. We've seen coyote, we've seen bear, we've seen deer. I mean, there's just so many things to see. And then, of course, the yellow belly marmot at the end of the trail. This is a trail that there has been a few times, at least, that we have seen bear. A couple of times, baby bear. And that's when you want to make sure that you keep your distance, because where baby bear is, that means mama bear is not too far away. This one particular time, there was a young baby bear on the trail, literally on the trail. And people got excited to see, you know, this beautiful little animal, but they all wanted pictures. So they were getting super close trying to get a picture of this baby bear. You and I are both going, where's the mama? Where's the mama? I mean, we're very aware that mamas will attack if they feel that their babies are threatened. Mm -hmm. And we just wanted to get past, you know, and, uh, but I remember all those people getting so close to that little bear who seemed to be very uninterested in the people because he just kept looking for food and scrounging for food. But Yeah, keep your distance. Keep your distance. Yeah, and speaking about wildlife, if you hear jingling in the background, that's the collar of the wildlife in our house, which is a beagle, <laughs> which uh, is sniffing the food. Callie. Get away from my food. Okay. Um, how would you rate the hike difficulty level? I think it's a moderate difficulty. Yeah, I, um, would, I would say easy. Easy, well, moderate. I think once you start getting to that climb, I think it's it's harder. Okay. Because you're, you know, when you're under the, the canvas of all the trees, the beautiful trees, and it, there's, it's cooler there. And as you come out onto the more granite part of the trail, it's blistering hot. I mean, you got no shade whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. And then you climb. You're climbing. A little bit. Yeah. So semi-moderate. Can we agree on that? Okay. Okay. I, okay. Right. So it sounds like you're rating it probably a slightly more difficult than I would. That said, we had one time where our daughter was with us mm -hmm. who has had, I lost count of how many knee surgeries, which is what happens when you play volleyball mm -hmm. uh, and things <laughs> go wrong. But she has some challenges with her leg yeah. and uh, we had an issue. It was like almost at the total other end of the hike one year where she started to have some issues and that was a difficult journey for her to make yeah. it back yeah so well, I th and she fell too yeah kind of more she kind of like on slipped. the granite yeah yeah so yeah. on this path it is rocky at times and it's one of those paths that you just want to really be watching your footing because one small twist of the ankle can make mm -hmm. for it not the best experience yeah. And we've seen people with flip-flops taking this trail, flimsy tennis shoes. Yeah. It does help to have sturdy footwear when you take this hike. Yeah. So that's the Topoca Falls Trail. If you're at Lodgepole, recommend that. Give yourself at least two hours, mm -hmm. probably a little more to complete that. The next hike, the trailhead we're going to talk about is 
basically at the same spot, but you're going to go in a totally opposite direction. And this is the Twin Lakes Trail. So you and I ventured out on this one last time, and our goal was to get to Cahoon Meadow. So we were not going to go all the way to the Twin Lakes. For doing that, you've got a seven-mile one-way hike out of Lodgepole Campground. Mm -hmm. This one is rated as strenuous with an estimated eight-hour round-trip time not including stops for rest or for photography if you're going to go all the way to the Twin Lakes. So again, last time we were there, our goal was to get to Cahoon Meadow. We thought it would be a little over 90 minutes each mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And we were hiking out there for close to 90 minutes when we ran into just a raging, raging river. So the yeah. time that we were there, we had a very plentiful winter, the snow melt was in full force mm -hmm. and we had on ourselves i had our camera we had our cell phones i think right. all combined all of the photography equipment it was several thousand dollars right. worth of stuff right. and we get to this river and we're staring at it looking at how on earth do we cross this yeah. thing and not damage the stuff that we had and I remember we went up the river one way and yeah, didn't we, see a good way to, to cross. Yeah, we tried to scope out an area where there would be a crossing. But as we went up the river, it just seemed to be a little bit more perilous, yeah. very rocky. Yeah. I just, yeah, it didn't seem like a good idea. Yeah, because we were talking about not only water that you would be wading in probably over waist level, mm -hmm. But the velocity of the water yeah. was, I mean, we're, we're talking, this is something that could have swept you away. Yeah. And um, as we were standing there trying to make our decision, we ran into somebody else that made it as far as we did. And that person came to the same conclusion right. that we did, which is this this ain't the time to cross this thing. Yeah. So we did not make it out to Cahoon Meadow, but when we are back at Sequoia National Park in about five days or so, this is one that we hope to get out to, hopefully not only to Cahoon Meadow, but all the way out to the Twin, Twin Lakes. Lakes. That so would be very nice. this is another hike that's available to you straight out of Lodgepole. If you want something that's going to be an all day or something a little more challenging, the Twin Lakes Trail is a nice option for you out of the Lodgepole Campground. The next hike that we like to take is the Crescent Meadow hike. This is at the end of the Morro Rock Crescent Meadow Road, and you will encounter a parking lot there that is labeled Crescent Meadow Parking Lot. From here, you can walk. It's very flat, very, very flat walk. One and a half mile loop trail around the Crescent Meadow itself. It is a beautiful place for photography. There's so many spots as you're doing this loop that you just you, you kind of are in awe of because you've got this beautiful meadow and when the light hits things certain ways it's just gorgeous it's just absolutely gorgeous it wraps around the meadow and it offers you a lot of opportunities to explore the giant sequoias up close you see lots of wildflowers in bloom in the spring and you can potentially see some wildlife we saw a deer last time it was just kind of resting against one of the sequoias and didn't seem to be bothered by humans it just stayed right there as we walked by and we took some pictures if you want to continue hiking crescent meadows also connects to a whole network of trails that can take you farther into the grove 
or to other various viewpoints within Sequoia National Park. Popular trails that are connected to this Crescent Meadow Trail are Tharps Log, Trail of the Sequoias, or Log Meadow. There are various forks that you pay attention to on the trail that are very, very clearly marked. I think that the um, rangers at this park have done a great job at marking these trails so you know in which direction to go into. And they allow you to either keep your hike really short or if you decide you want to go farther, you go off on a fork and you can go farther. So it's a nice day if you want to get out and just take a really easy hike. If you decide I want a longer hike, you can take one of those forks and there's not one spot that is just isn't gorgeous in this park. And we did that one Tharps log. Mm-hmm. We took that hike. We were with some family with my brother. Yeah. And that we had some little kids with us too. And they seemed to do very well. I mean, they didn't have a hard time on this hike at all. Yeah. So I'm just looking this up as we're talking about this. So Tharps log is named after a gentleman who was described as the first non-native American to enter giant forest. And if you make it out that far, I think still to this day, you see this log that's mm-hmm. hollowed out and inside you could see where this gentleman lived. He lived. He I think there was there. like a table in there and like where a bed a would bed. be. A bed, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really interesting place to see and see how somebody lived in this particular area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. And the whole area that you described, I mean, the hiking there, if you want to call it that, I think of Crescent Meadow more as like an, a place where you do a really nice stroll. So if you do just the meadow itself, it's a gentle walk that I think almost anybody can do. Mm-hmm. But as you mentioned, there's forks in the road that mm-hmm. if you want to make a longer day out of it, then that gives you that yeah. flexibility as well. I remember too, you had decided to do some recordings of the bird sounds because they were so beautiful. They sounded so wonderful and they were because you're out in the the forest area, the sounds were quite prevalent. It's like they yeah. were just everywhere. It was just yeah. And I remember yeah somewhere around this time of our visit, and I don't know what sparked the idea, but our youngest son had uh, expressed interest in some field recordings. So we had somewhere around the, the, the time of this last visit, we had gone to. Wales and the UK and when we were there we ended up getting sound recordings of the Bristol shore mm-hmm. so we got sound recordings of the Bristol shore and then when we were in Sequoia I just remembered that you know our son had this interest in sound recordings and when we were sitting in the meadow the sound of the birds was just so prevalent and there was no other distracting noise like we have sometimes in the city mm-hmm. where there's mm-hmm. traffic noises or airplanes and it was just a nice moment to put the phone on record mode and capture the sound of the birds. And it came in handy for me. Yes, it did. Because the band that I play keyboards for recently, we were working on some tunes and there was a song with some reference to birds. And I remembered I had the field recording from Sequoia National Park and at least on the uh, current demos, that song is sprinkled with Bird chirping from Sequoia National Park. So we'll see where that goes in the future. But um, a little digression, but it's just also just neat when you're in Sequoia, you do get that opportunity in the stillness and the peacefulness of nature just to listen to nature. Mm -hmm. And you get that at Crescent Meadow. Mm -hmm. 
Another place that we've been to a few times and you have to hike to is the Crystal Cave. Yes, and before you hike, you drive. Yeah, so if you didn't know, one of the features that is available to tour and visit is this phenomenal cave. It's an excellent example of a marble cavern that sits in Sequoia National Park. And because the formations inside of the cave are so fragile, the only way you can visit this cave is on a guided tour. And there's tours that are available, suitable for all ages, but this is something that you have to get tickets for in advance. They're available through the Sequoia Parks Conservancy. We usually purchase our tickets at the Lodgepole Visitor Center. And you'll want to know that you're not going to be able to get tickets at the cave itself. So don't Mm -hmm. expect to drive to the cave, make your way to the entrance and buy tickets there because that's not going to happen. But if you get your tickets at the places that they are available, that'll give you access to a guided tour that is offered from the spring through the fall. And if you do this, do plan to arrive early because you're going to need time one to travel to the area from wherever it is that you're staying. Once you get to the parking area, there is a steep half mile walk to and from the parking lot to the cave entrance. So you've got to give yourself time to walk. And I believe the tickets are timed. They are timed. Yeah. So this is about a good half day event. When you think about all the driving that's involved, the time of the tour, the time to walk from the parking lot to the cave entrance, the tour itself is about 45 minutes long. And inside the cave, it's fairly cool. It's about 50 degrees Fahrenheit, so you want to dress accordingly. Even if you're in Sequoia on a warmer summer day, and we've been there where it's been in the 80s and the 90s, when you get to the cave, it's going to feel much more cooler. Mm -hmm. So you want to have that jacket with you. And inside the cave, you've got phenomenal examples of stalactites and stalagmites which are formed when acidic water reaches open areas resulting in carbon dioxide that leaves the water and forms calcite deposits and there's an easy mnemonic to remember to help differentiate the two and that is that a stalactite grows from the cave ceiling so it has to hold on tight where a stalagmite grows from the cave floor with all of its might. and um, <laughs> I never remember that. <laughs> well, hopefully you can remember for another week before we get out to Sequoia. The tour will take you through various parts of the cave, through various parts of the cavern, and there's usually what we experience. There's a part of the tour where the tour guide will turn off the lights because there are lights in the cave so you can see what's going on. And it's an opportunity to be in complete darkness. Utter, complete. There is no light. So this is a different kind of darkness than being out on a dark night because there's no stars, there's no moon, there's no light peeking in from anywhere else. We're talking pitch black. And that's an interesting experience because you can't see anything you know you try to look at your fingers in front of your face and there's Mm -hmm. nothing you're going to see see so it's a little bit of an interesting experience we've also learned when visiting this cave which is inhabited with bats about the white nose syndrome which is a fungal disease that's killing bats in north america Mm -hmm. 
and a disease that's present in California. Because of it, it's known that people can spread the fungus from one cave to another. It can be carried on shoes, on clothing, on gear. So if you have visited caves in other parts of the country, it's really, really important that you don't wear the same clothing or equipment when you visit Crystal Cave in Sequoia. It's uh, part of what we can do to protect the habitat of the Mm -hmm. bats who reside in this cave. Yeah, and before you start your hike, they have you step on this little platform that has like a fungicide on it, and you put your shoes on it, and you stand there for a few minutes, then you can continue the hike. It is on your shoes. They try to keep it out by trying to kill it before you you ever enter the cave. So keep the bats safe. Yeah, and when you're out of the cave and if you've done some hikes, there's still more to do in the broader Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks. Yes, and we had done this on one of our earlier trips to Sequoia where we went horseback riding. The place that we rented horses for uh, taking this ride hike on horses was actually within Cedar Grove, Kings Canyon area. And it was a first for you. You, I don't think you ever had gotten on a horse in your life. Not this kind of riding. Yeah. 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 So, oh, you had the pony rides. When I was a child. Yes. So this yes. was my this was first different. official yes. horseback ride. And you did excellent. It was really fun. We had a really good time. I had a kick out of watching people that really hadn't been on horses before in our group that were uh, attempting to make this ride. It wasn't hard at all. I don't know if they had different horseback riding trails, but the one we took was pretty easy. And I remember it was hour and a half, two hours, and we were done, something like that. And I think they have different options available. So I'm sure that there's... If you want just a couple hours to a half a day, they even have full day options available depending on what your schedule is and budget. And budget because it can get a little bit pricey. So they have uh, horseback rides available in the summer. There's two stables that they operate out of under a concessions permit from Sequoia and King Canyons National Parks. Opening and closing dates for each of these locations depend on the weather, of course. And there are restrictions as far as age and weight. You must reserve. I don't think it's at all recommended to show up at one of these stables without reservations. I'm sure that there are a lot of people that do this and they book up very quickly um, during the summer. The Grant Grove stables are located near the General Grant Tree in the Grant Grove area of Kings Canyon National Park. The Currently, the rides are offered to single-family groups of up to six people. The Cedar Grove Pack Station is located just outside of Cedar Grove Village. I believe that's the one we went to. The rides range from one hour to, to all day, as you're saying, And there are options depending on how comfortable you are on horses. And again, please call to make reservations. Walk-in reservations may be available for certain day rides, but those long rides, I bet they're reserved and booked out way in advance. Yeah. I just remember this. That was a really fun experience. So I'm glad that we had the opportunity Mm -hmm. to do it there. The other memory I do have about 
that particular time that we went out to Kings Canyon to do the horseback riding was the drive. Oh, in, yes. Into Cedar Grove. Well, which... it didn't help that there was some sleet happening at the time we were taking this very precarious Kings Canyon drive. Yeah. So at the time that we did this drive, and this was a number of years ago, the road was one that there was, I mean, just these massive drop-offs mm-hmm. off the side of the road, and there was no railing on most of this road. And it was one thing when you were driving, I guess, in the one direction, and you were on the side of the road that was closest to the hill, the mountain part. But when you were driving in the other direction, where you know, there's the car and then there's hundreds of feet, thousands of feet. I don't know what it was of just drop off and no rail. And as we've mentioned, I think now on multiple podcasts, one of us has a massive fear of heights. Oh my gosh. That was, um, that was a white knuckle nail biter for me. Yeah. And then you had the weather to deal with. Yeah. And and that to me was the scariest part because here we're trying to drive on this road that needs a, you to pay attention very, very, very keenly, then all of a sudden there's sleep and ice sticking to our our windshield. And I was just like, wow, this is not fun. Yeah. So that's one of the questions I have for the Rangers when we go up on our upcoming trip is from the time that we had last driven to the Cedar Grove area, are the roads any different? I mean, if there's a rail on the side I would feel more comfortable about going back to that part of the park. Why? If your car's going to go over, the rail's not going to stop you. Okay, it's going to mentally make me feel (laughs) just a tiny bit better. If there's no (laughs) rail, I can't tell you how petrified (laughs) I am of that drive. I can't do it. Yes, you can. I've done it once. I I did it. I've done it. And I have that memory. I was... Petrified. I was petrified in Canada. Remember that? You're not so petrified anymore. You've overcome some of it. Okay. If if they're going to have our car connected to cabling so that if something (laughs) happens, we're going to be okay. I don't know that they have zip line for cars in Kings Canyon. I'll have to ask about that, I suppose. (laughs) So anyways, we digress. Horseback riding, another thing to do. We've already talked about wildlife opportunities. There's deer, there's bear, there's marmots, there's chipmunks. Oh, and don't feed the chipmunks because we've had had an incident at our campground where somebody, and it's neither one of us, got a little too friendly with the chipmunk. And next thing you know, the chipmunk is jumping on the leg of person in campground and uh, not an experience you want to get go through. Yeah. So among the tips for dealing with the wildlife or appreciating the wildlife, binoculars, bring binoculars. That's going to allow you to appreciate them from a distance. It's going to give you a chance to see them in a way that, you know, you can get that close up view without being literally close up. We talked about this last time. Don't approach the animals. Don't try to get an up-close photo of baby bear. Keep your food away from the animals. There's bear boxes throughout the campgrounds at every campsite for a reason. You stick your food there. Don't put the food in your tent. Don't put the food in your car because bears have a keen sense of smell and they're going to get attracted to where the food is. Mm -hmm. But do look for the wildlife and take time 
if you see the deer walking around or if you see a bear in the distance to admire them from a distance. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, one of those neat things for us that live in cities where we don't see things like this commonly. It's one of the neat things about being out in nature and to see their home. This is where they live and we're Mm -hmm. the guests. And the beautiful part about Sequoia National Park is right next to it is Kings Canyons National Park. So you have this amazing opportunity to be in both parks in one trip. Mm -hmm. So I think that's pretty amazing because the parks are very different. Kings Canyon is all about these granite mountains and that type of beauty. And Sequoia National Park has the forest and... and, um, The big trees. The big gigantic trees. Yeah. Yep. How about some fun facts? Let's... What do we got? Sequoia was the first park created to protect a living organism. To protect the giant sequoias from logging, Sequoia National Park was established in 1890. And it's fantastic that it was designated yes. a national park because the protections have been put in place to keep the trees protected, as you said, and we get the chance, you and I and anybody mm-hmm. else who visits there, I mean, we go there almost every single year mm-hmm. and it's a phenomenal place to visit. Yeah. Again, as we mentioned, we've got over a dozen trips under our belt to Sequoia. So a few tips uh, that we share with you about visiting the area. Uh, Some of these range from practical to, I think, just good to know things. Once you start your ascent into the park, and once you're in the park, you're not going to have opportunities for gasoline, diesel, whatever your fuel choice is for your vehicle. So get a a look on the map of where your final gas options are going to be and gas up your vehicle Mm -hmm before you make the ascent up into the mountains. Because it may be that once you're in the park, you may want to do some driving around to different parts of it. It could be into Kings Canyon, into Hume Lake. There's you know places to drive around, but you're going to be limited to how much fuel you have in your car. So you don't want to be driving up with a half a tank of gas or less thinking that you'll deal with it when you're in the park because there's not there's a there. there's not a Texaco mm-hmm. station in Sequoia National Park. Mm-hmm. Bring layers of clothing. You are up in the mountains. It can get warm, very, very warm in the summer, and then drop down to lower temperatures to where you need to be wearing light jackets and sometimes heavier jackets. It can be that cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes storms and certain weather patterns come through. Uh, you can get wind. You go, I mean, you're in the mountains. Hey, Julie, talking about weather patterns, why don't we talk about the Memorial Day experience we had once upon a time at Sequoia that National Park? That was one Park. of our first trips. Yeah. yeah, that was one of our first trips to Sequo- to Lodgepole. Uh-huh. And we it was Memorial Day weekend, and we had shorts and t-shirt weather. When we got there, it was gorgeous. It was perfect. We were hiking. It was just wonderful. Then a storm came in towards the evening and... Oh, yes. okay. It was a rainstorm. It was a rainstorm. So this is another tip. It's not on our list, but now I remember. If you're excited about going camping and it's like one of your first times and you have that brand new tent, (laughs) sometimes, usually I think tents come with a tube of sealant to seal any seams that might be on the bottom. If your tent comes with sealant... 
use it or buy it and bring it <laughs> yeah because if you fail to do that and if there's seams on the bottom of your tent and you, if you find yourself in a rainstorm like we did you might be sleeping in some water some water yeah it was terrible yeah so anyway so we had the rain that night and then what happened julie so we we had the rain we tried to sleep as well as we could because it was we were soaking wet from the sleeping bags soaking up the water that was coming through the seam underneath the tent. Because somebody didn't put the sealant in. Yes. yes. And we got up that next morning and opened up the tent and everything was white. There was snow everywhere. Yeah, And we're not talking about a dusting. No. We're talking about your foot sinking yeah. in it was a it was a couple inches. It was oh, a couple yeah. inches of snow. Yeah. yeah, it was it was really amazing, and we somebody bailed right away, packed up and left. But we decided that we were going to take a hike in the snow. And that was phenomenal. It was so great. Yeah. It was still snowing when we got up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was so unexpected, but it's also an example that even at the end of May, almost at the beginning of June in Sequoia National Park, you can run into snow. And like our experience was, you know, we went from this perfect, perfect spring day, I don't know, 70 degrees, mm-hmm. 80 degrees. And then, beautiful. and then it felt like you woke up in a different, it was like being a bear, like where you hibernated and you woke up in a, a totally different time zone yeah. landscape. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also with, with clothing for those who are hair challenged like me, I have found that bringing a beanie is helpful in the evening, so when it gets super cold at night, if you need to keep your hair warmer, <laughs> if, you <don't, laughs> if you don't have the natural stuff, I'd bring a beanie. The other thing I would bring with you to Sequoia, and I would start working on this before you start making your ascent up the mountains because you're going to go into elevation, is water. Mm-hmm. I have had several trips to Sequoia where I probably have not properly hydrated before we've gotten into the elevation and that headache hits me. And once the headache starts and anymore, I don't get a lot of headaches, but once it hits, it could be days before it goes away. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's not how you want to experience Sequoia national park. I found, you know, since having those experiences that I've if I start drinking plenty of water as we're driving up into the mountains and, you know, try to get as hydrated as the day as, before. Yeah. You get there. Yeah. 24 hours before mm-hmm. just water, 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 water. That seems at least for me to minimize that altitude headache that otherwise can kick in. So water is recommended from my experience. The other thing we recommend is a, very comfy, relaxing chair for the site that you're on. Yeah, because this Whether is a, you're RVing or tent camping. Yeah, because it's a great place to relax. Mm-hmm. Bring a book too. We have the chairs that they actually kind of kick back and lounge back and you could lock it into almost... Uh, it's kind of like a zero gravity chair. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. So, And those are super comfy. So we bring those and, and they're perfect for, for the campsite. Yeah. The other thing, be it at Sequoia or any campground, if you're at a place where you think you might return someday, you might want to take part of an afternoon and just scope out the campsites and decide, hey, next time you come to this place, where would you like to camp? So 
at Lodgepole, we've stayed at just about every part of the campground. We've stayed close to that main parking lot. We've stayed in the middle part of the park. Mm -hmm. We've stayed many, many times in the upper loop. Mm -hmm. This upcoming trip, it'll be our first time in the RV section. Mm -hmm. And last time we were at Sequoia, knowing that we would probably be coming there someday in an RV, we walked the RV section and tried to get a sense of kind of rig that we were thinking about, what might be a good site. Mm -hmm. And luckily enough for us, the site that made it to the top of our list, we were able to get. So I bet you, if you make it to Sequoia National Park, this may be a place that you tell yourself, I want to come back because it's just that fantastic. And if you think you'll do that, take a look at the campsites because there's many available in whichever campground you choose. I forget if we had talked about last time or not, because we focus so much on camping because that's how you and I have experienced the park. If you're not a tent camper, there's other lodging options available. Mm-hmm, so there's mm-hmm. the um, there's the main lodge mm-hmm. that's close to the lodgepole area that gives you more of a hotel type of experience. Mm-hmm. There's also cabins available. Mm-hmm. So if you love to tent camp, that's available. If you're an RVer, that's available. And if, you, and if you're more of a hotel person, you can still enjoy the beauty of the park through something like that mm-hmm. as well. And... For somebody going to Sequoia, Julie, how many days would you recommend? Oh, well, that's their prerogative. I mean, some people are used to camping for longer periods of time. I'm very comfortable with three to four nights there, and then I'm ready to to go home. For me, I like to have at least a few days to soak up some of the things to do that we've spoken about. So I think you'd want to at least you know, have like one day to maybe explore Giant Forest, maybe another day for Moro Rock or the cave. And then when we're up there, I love to have at least one full day, if not more, just to relax in the campground mm-hmm. and, you know, be in the chair, open a book, have a libation and mm-hmm. just uh, relax. And another thing to know about Sequoia, and it's one of the reasons that it makes it easier to relax, and I think this is probably true for most of the park, you're not going to get cell phone service. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get internet. Mm -hmm. So if you're one of these people who think, hey, when I go on vacation, it's usually a partial vacation because I have to check email back at the office or I have to call on the phone to check with this person or that person about whatever. You're not going to do any of that in Sequoia because your phone ain't going to work. You're not going to be going on internet sites. All they have is a pay phone up at the market area. They do have that, which we use Mm -hmm. to contact people back home just to make sure. Yeah. Things are good. Yeah, things are okay. So it's a fantastic place to relax. And we keep coming back because it's one of the most beautiful places that we experience. So as you're taking the opportunity to relax at your campsite at Sequoia National Park, one of the things you might want to do, one of the things I always do when we're there, and I'm sitting in my zero-gravity chair with my libation next to me is I have a book with me. And almost every time I go to Sequoia, I end up bringing something by Neil Peart, who for your music fans will know him as the person who was the drummer from the rock band Rush, also an author. And his books are travel 
infused, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons I like reading his stuff when we're in Sequoia. He was also... His travel was his therapy. Yeah. yeah. And he was a great lover of the national parks in North America. Mm-hmm. And I just find his stuff appropriate to read when I'm in Sequoia National Park. Another author to read, which is, uh, I think, particularly fitting when you're in that landscape, are the works of John Muir. Of course. So both of which, you can find links for the various books by both of those authors. If you visit our website, if you go to our gear menu, you'll find not only links to camping gear, but books about the national parks and books that inspire travel. So recommend that you take a peek at that at theplaceswherewego.com. Get some ideas for things that you can read when you're at the campsite or gear that will make your travel to Sequoia or any other campground perhaps a little bit more enjoyable. If you're not subscribing to us already, take a minute and hit the subscribe button in the iTunes or your favorite source for podcasts and catch up on all our future episodes. And in addition to the podcast, we now have a dedicated YouTube channel and have been posting videos of our travels in the weeks, kind of in between the podcast. So each, the podcast pretty much come out every other week and on the weeks in between, there's YouTube videos So you can listen to us in the car, you can watch us on the tube, and uh, we just enjoy traveling and sharing our experiences with you, and hopefully you pick things up from us that will just help to inspire or improve your future travels and memories that you make. So, until we meet again, thanks for joining us on The Places Where We Go. If you have any comments or info to share with us about travel, you can write us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. Right now we're on Twitter and Instagram, both at The Places Where We Go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at The Places Where We Go. See you next time. Bye now.